You can have a seat. Uh, uh, his goodness is running after me. Why do we surrender everything to him? Not to get his goodness, but because we have his goodness. We lay down everything that we have, not because we want God to love us, but because God loves us. His goodness is running, is running after you. And the only way that you can experience that goodness is for you to stop running and let that goodness run over you, to surrender to the goodness of God. Uh, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. We, uh, we are concluding this series, Counterculture, uh, this morning. We've been asking the question for the last several weeks, uh, what does it mean? How do you follow Jesus in a world that does not follow Jesus? How do we as salt and life, uh, light live counter to the culture uh, that we live in? And today we're going to conclude with counterculture love. Counterculture love. Everybody say love. Love, love, love. And to, uh, to address that, uh, Jesus, uh, uh, there's two very familiar verses in the scriptures uh, that tell us what Jesus taught us about love. And that first one is Matthew 5:44. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then later in Matthew 22, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. So two foundational commands when it comes to counterculture love, that is to love your enemies and to love your neighbors. And this is especially provocative when your enemy is your neighbor, right? I won't ask for a show of hands, but I know some of you uh, have had a neighbor that was actually uh, an enemy. You know, for most of our lives, Rhonda and, and I, uh, we have had wonderful, we have had wonderful neighbors. But for about four years, uh, we had enemies for neighbors. Christy and Hank, that was not you. Okay, so if you're listening today, that was not you. We love you. We miss you as neighbors. You were great neighbors. But, and I'm not going to tell the story because that would put my wife in a fetal position. But for four years, it was really, uh, really difficult. Uh, uh, loving your neighbors and loving your enemies. And uh, so let's talk, let's talk about this first verse, five, uh, Matthew 5, 44. Jesus says to love your enemies and to pray for your persecutors. So you have enemies and you have persecutors. Okay, so how do we understand the distinction? Enemies, anyone, uh, you know, everyone has them. People who don't like you, surprising, I know, but there are people who do, just do not care for you. Uh, they, they disagree with you. They don't share your values. Uh, and then you have persecutors. This is what I would call enemies on steroids. They, they just don't, it's not enough for them to disagree with you. They want, they want to dismantle you. Right? And so Jesus says to love your enemies, those who, you know, don't care for you, and also pray for your persecutors, those who are out to get you. Uh, these are volatile times. Would you not agree? The culture that we live in is shifting its attitude uh, toward, toward people of faith, uh, toward institutions of faith, the church and parachurch organizations, government uh, policies and provisions protecting faith. Our culture is moving from a disinterest in faith to intentional efforts to remove faith in the public square. And so it's important for us in this time as Jesus followers to answer this question, what does it mean to follow Jesus in a world that does not follow Jesus, who are enemies of Jesus and not just enemies of Jesus, but persecutors of Jesus and those who follow him? Uh, next week, I'm really excited. Next week, we are going to launch into... Uh, 
the life of Daniel, the prophet Daniel. There's an entire book of Daniel's life in the Old Testament. And I touched on this last week when we looked at Jeremiah 29. Uh, Daniel was a contemporary of Jeremiah. He was one of those victims in the Babylonian captivity. He was carried off. He was an exile in Babylon. He would have received the message from Jeremiah trying to to figure out what what does it mean to follow the one true God in a culture uh, that was diametrically opposed to the one true God. This was a culture, Babylon, who was intentional in eliminating the thought of the one true God, intentional at changing the hearts and minds of those who followed the one true God. They were not just enemies, they were persecutors. So fast forward about a thousand years into the first century church, and we find this in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter writes to the church, and he says, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to those elect exiles of the dispersion Dispersion means scattered. Uh, During that time, Christians were being persecuted and scattered throughout the entire empire because of their faith. They were exiles in their own country. They were being hunted down and persecuted. Many of them died for their faith. So then fast forward 2,000 years later, and here we are. Here we are. And things have not changed. Again, we talked about this last week. Followers of Jesus have a dual citizenship. We live in one country, but we belong to another. We live in the dominion of darkness where Satan is the prince of this world, but our citizenship is in heaven where Jesus is king. And it causes us to feel like strangers in a place we call home. We are resident aliens on earth. And I want to tell you, uh, people, that's how you should feel. You should feel out of place. You should feel like an alien in the culture in which you live. You should feel like... I mean, if you're constantly surprised, if you're not feeling out of place in this world, you might want to check your allegiance to Jesus. I mean, if you're constantly surprised, caught off guard, disappointed, or even offended by how the world treats the church and and guess what treats you, you need to remind yourself, friends, the world hated Jesus. Why would they treat you any better? The world tried to execute, uh, the world executed Jesus. Be grateful they don't want to kill you. Yet... (laughs) These are volatile times, aren't they? People are divided. People are angry in our culture. They are aggressively angry. Uh, I read an article just a couple of weeks ago entitled, Why Do We Hate Each Other So Much? <laughs> and that's it, isn't it? I mean, it, it, has, it has moved from disagreement to division to destruction. I, I, and I want to say two things about this. From di- disagreement to division to now destruction. We talk about political correctness, correctness a lot in this country. We've, di- we've talked about it for 20 years more. Uh, but now it has progressed to a cancel culture where it does not, we, our culture doesn't permit difference of thought or conviction. Uh, those, think about this. Those who push for tolerance have no tolerance for tolerance anymore. Uh, you don't have the right to disagree. You don't have the right to a difference of opinion. We will destroy you if you do. That, friends, it is a, this is the kind of culture that Jesus uh, lived in. This is what put him on the cross. And to that culture, to his followers, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Followers of Jesus can expect enemies and persecutors. That's the first thing I want to say. Secondly, I want to say, unfortunately, even Jesus' followers get caught up in this very heated tension of public discourse that is so argumentative and disrespectful, hateful, and angry. In, the, in this article, Why Do We Hate Each Other So Much?, the, article, uh, the author attributes social media as a major contributor. 
You're not surprised by that, right? <laughs> uh, friends, it, people are naturally more aggressive online than they are in person. Many of us are far more inclined uh, to express an argumentative opinion on Facebook than we are in person. And, I, and unfortunately, unfortunately, Jesus followers often lose sight of our calling as salt and light. And we step into that back and forth bickering that so often occurs when divisive topics are debated online. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Friends, you need to understand this. There is no religious system. There is no philosophical system in the world that preaches the love of enemies except Jesus. None of the major religions in this world is grounded in a leader who not only died for his enemies, but commanded his followers to love those who hate them, love those who seek to persecute them. This is the most radical, following Jesus is the most radical concept on the planet, to love those who hate you, to do good to those who mistreat you, and for those who seek to kill you, you pray for them. You pray for them. That is the essence of what the Greeks called agape love. What is, what is agape love? You've heard, many of you have heard that term before. Friends, agape love is simply the selfless, sacrificial love toward another person without expectation of anything in return. You love without any expectation of return. And the greatest test of agape love is when you are hated and persecuted. Jesus, in fact, said this, friends, friends loving friends. I mean, that doesn't mean anything. The world knows how to do that. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Friends, the only real test of love is to love when love is not returned, to love those who do not love you back, to love those who reject or resist your love, to love those who intentionally return evil for good, hate for love. Now, just as a, I'm no prophet, I, I don't know what the future holds, but as, as broken as things are now, I know things could get worse. I'm praying that it doesn't. That's why I am salt and light in our culture, to, to heal the brokenness and to push back the darkness, the destructive darkness in our culture. It just feels like everything that can be shaken is being shaken, not just in the world, but friends in the church. I believe there's a challenge facing the American church in ways that it has never seen before, the challenge to live counterculture to a hate-filled, anger-saturated, destructive culture, and to love those who not only disagree with us, but seek to divide us and dismantle us. The time for Jesus' followers to love like Jesus, to love the people Jesus loved. Because here's the deal, friends. Uh, we know that fear and anger are simply reflections of the brokenness Within, within our culture. And the more broken our culture, the more anger, the more hate uh, we will encounter in our culture. And so as, as, as salt and light, we've got to find ways to love our enemies and to love them into healing and to love them into the love of God. To love your enemies. Well, Jesus also said to love your neighbor. Matthew chapter 22, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your enemy and love your neighbor. Is there a difference and does it really matter? Jesus says to love both. So whether they're your enemy or whether they're your neighbor or whether they're both, we are called to love them. Now, in, uh, just to be clear, in Luke chapter 10, uh, where Jesus also repeats this command to love your neighbor, the man who asked Jesus the question, who is my neighbor, was seeking to justify his lack of loving his neighbor. He wanted to seek uh, some exemption for himself from the obligation to love his neighbor. And Jesus basically schooled him with the story of the Good Samaritan. Many of you are familiar with that story where Jesus made the point, there is no one in your life who doesn't deserve 
love from you. So who is your neighbor? It's every person you come in contact with. Not just the person who lives by you, but the person who works by you, the person, the person who plays with you, does business with you. Any person who finds themselves in the pathway of your life is your neighbor. Any person who's created in the image of God deserves to be loved by you as a Jesus follower. Love your neighbor. Now, it's a lot tougher than we think. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Because of our own brokenness. Love is not the most natural word that comes to complete this, this statement when we deal with our neighbors, especially if they're our enemy as well. Even as Jesus followers, we often have to check our own spirits and ask ourselves, why are we so prone? Why is there something in me, a, per, a person who claims to love Jesus and follow Jesus, why is it so hard for me to love those that do not love Jesus? Judge your neighbor. That's pretty tempting. Gossip about your neighbor, <clears throat> that's pretty easy. Yell at your neighbor, especially in traffic. Mistreat your neighbor, exploit your neighbor, blame your neighbor, ignore your neighbor, forget your neighbor, neglect your neighbor, hurt your neighbor, argue with your neighbor, war against your neighbor, give back to your neighbor what your neighbor gave you. What has played out exponentially all over our country these past uh, few months is hate your neighbor so how can, we, how can we get the words of Jesus off the page and into our hearts? How can we get the love of Jesus out of the story of the Good Samaritan to flow out into the streets of our own neighborhood? You know, Jesus would make the distinction, uh, would not make the distinction between our enemies and our neighbors. They might behave differently and they might treat you differently. But when it comes to loving them, friends, there is no difference. So I've got three suggestions as I conclude here about how to love our neighbors and how to love our enemies. In order to love Jesus, I think, first of all, we've just got to think differently about our enemies and our neighbors. I don't know about you, but uh, whatever, whenever I'm mistreated, whatever, whenever I am disrespected, uh, when someone takes advantage of me, I immediately fall into the uh, retaliation mode, you know, uh, no one's going to do that to me kind of mode. But that's not the spirit of the Jesus that I follow. I follow a Jesus who turned the other cheek and went the second mile. Because Jesus saw value in every neighbor he met. He saw value in every inherent, uh, inherent value in every enemy he encountered. Friends, I've said this before. You've never looked into the eyes of another human being that does not matter to God. And if they matter to God, they should matter to me. Regardless of what they think, what they think about me, regardless of how they live, what they value, particularly how they treat me, they may be my neighbor, they may be my enemy, they may be my persecutor, it doesn't matter. The gospel reminds me that Jesus loved me, therefore I can love them. Agape love is loving without expectation of return. Being good without good being reciprocated. And that's, I, that's, that's not easy, is it? With every sunrise, God's mercy reminds me that I am called by God and loved by God and that my calling is to love those God loves. I constantly need to remind myself and reorient my mind around the love of God, not just for me, but for the neighbors God puts in my path and the enemies that stand in my way. I don't need to get, any ret I don't need to get anything in return because, friends, my reward is in heaven. I don't need to be offended by their mistreatment because they can't do anything worse to me than what they did to Jesus. I can't claim my rights because Jesus gave up his rights for me. I was once an enemy of God and he became my friend. 
And so what he has done for me, he can do for my neighbor. And he uses me as salt and light to think differently about my neighbor in my enemy. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. In order to follow Jesus, to love like Jesus, I need to be genuine in my love for my enemy and my neighbor. Parents, you know this. Uh, parents, how frustrating is it for you? And you, you know, especially if you have multiple children, you, you make your child say you're sorry to their sibling, right? You make them say, say you're sorry, say you're sorry. And, and that kid will turn to his sibling or her sibling and he will say, sorry. Problem solved, right? You, you want so much more. You want so much more for that child. You don't just want them to say they're sorry. You want sorry to be a part of their spirit and their, their heart. One of, my, um, one of my favorite food chains have trained their employees to say, my privilege, right? My privilege. You, how many of you have been there? They say, my privilege, my privilege. And you know what? Sometimes I, go, I run through the drive-thru and, and I think, is it really? <laughs> is it re-? You're being paid minimum wage and you're wearing a funny hat. Is it really your privilege to fry my fries and to pour my drink? I mean, I, I can't judge. I don't know what's in their heart. But I do know this. I do know this, friends. It changes your heart. It changes the level of your joy. It changes the fulfillment of your life. If you indeed count it a privilege, not an obligation to love. That God has not obligated you, but that he has given you an opportunity to be a part of the transforming power of God to love another human being. I mean, I, to be honest, I, friends, I, a lot of times there's nothing more, there's no more hassle in my life than to love, than to love. I, I just, you know, loving is hard. Loving, loving people is hard. I'm not thinking of any of you, mostly. Uh, but but love, loving people is hard. Sometimes I, sometimes I think it's easier to love your enemy because your enemy doesn't want anything from you. But when it comes to your neighbor, when it comes to other people in your life, uh, they expect a little bit more from you. Uh, so I, you know, I just, I, I, that's why I love the verse in Romans, uh, chapter 13, I think is where it says, uh, if you are kind to your neighbor, your enemy, your persecutor, you're, you're heaping burning coals on their head. And that verse tends uh, to, you know, you're, you're bringing them to, sh- to guilt and shame. Elsewhere in Romans, it says God's kindness has brought you to repentance. When, when you experience the love of somebody that you are not loving back, it brings you shame. So I kind of like that verse when it comes to, my, to loving my enemies and my persecutors. If I can bring shame to them, I'm okay with that. Uh, but there's more to that, friends. This is about me. This is about counting it a privilege, seizing the opportunity, regardless of how they respond to me, for me to be genuine in my love for them. How do, how do, that's, this is the question. How do I do that? How do I love someone when love is not returned? How do I be good to someone when evil is reciprocated? The key, friends, the key to loving anyone in your life is to live in the love of God 
in your life. Every morning, God's mercy reminds me that he did for me what I could not do for myself. Every morning, his mercy reminds me that I am far worse than I, can, than I am willing to admit, and I am far more loved than I could possibly comprehend. Trying to love your enemy apart from the love of God in your life is simply an exercise in futility. When you live in the love of God for you, you will be empowered to love those who do not love you back, to be genuine in that love. That's the second thing. And here's the third thing, friends. Be hopeful. Be hopeful. This is not about you. This is not what you get in doing this. This is about the love of God transforming the hearts and minds that are in your pathway. It may never change them, but friends, it will definitely change you. We are gospel-saved, gospel-filled, gospel-led people. That means you have never encountered a neighbor or an enemy that is too far gone, too far away, or too far outside the love, God's redeeming love, God's restorative love for them. God is relentless. His goodness is running after us. So let me close with this, friends. If God could save you, he could save anyone. So be hopeful. And what's more, if God could love you, friends, you can love anyone. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemy as God loves you. Pray for your persecutor that God would one day, because of the way that you love them, the love of God would one day capture their hearts. The great missionary William Carey once said, the future is as bright as the promises of God. The future is as bright as the promises of God. Friends, we live in dark days. These are difficult times, but God is good and Jesus is on the throne. The gospel is still working and the day is coming when all things will be made new. And so we follow Jesus into the love of God for our world. If you're not a Jesus follower, I want to say to you, there is no one who will love you more. There is no one who will love you better than Jesus. So if you have a question about that, that's why we're here. You can respond to us on Facebook or on our website. We would love to help you take your next step toward Jesus. But if you are, if you are a Jesus follower, I want to remind you that the key to you loving anyone in your life is to live in the love of Jesus for you. As Jesus loved you, you can love. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful. We are so undeserving, and yet you love us. We are so grateful that you love us. And we pray, Father, that your love would so transform us that regardless of how we are treated, regardless of how they behave, regardless of how they live, we are going to love our enemy. We are going to love our persecutor. We are going to love our neighbor because you love us. And we are so grateful for that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.